It is so good to be able to worship together on Easter Sunday, and I want to say a huge thank you to our worship team and our creative team for initiating new ways for us to still get to gather as a church during this unique time. Here's the thing, though. We don't want to just gather together on Sunday mornings online. We are trying to figure out ways for us to continue to be the church all week long and to see all of the ways that you can get involved. Go to auburncommunitychurch.com. I promise you there are multiple ways for you to participate in the life of our church. There are opportunities to serve. There are prayer requests. There are prayer teams. There are community groups. If you have kids like I do, you can go to ACC Kids and watch them go crazy for their favorite ACC Kids volunteers who are putting out videos every single week. We're going to continue to be the church no matter how long this lasts because from the beginning we have been a church without walls and that will not change. Church is people, not a place. Church is a movement, not a meeting. And we're grateful to be a part of this with you. I'm excited to bring the word of God to you. Before we open up our Bibles, though, we're going to go into our bringing time. This is a time that we set aside every Sunday for us to respond to God with generosity and bring back to him a grateful offering. And you don't have to give. We believe we get to give toward what God is doing in his kingdom. And there's so many different ways for you to give. You can give on Venmo. You can give online. uh, You can send checks to 323 Airport Road. But our leadership felt like we had an incredible opportunity to serve our community on Easter Sunday. So here's what's special about this offering. We are going to be giving away our Easter offering to benefit the local community and ministries and families all around us in the wake of COVID-19. And when we decided that, we did not know that a generous couple in the life of our church was going to come forward and say, I love that you guys are doing that. Uh, We want to match dollar for dollar the offering on Easter Sunday up to $20,000. So here's what's crazy about what's happening right now. In the coming weeks, we're going to be able to give away $40,000 to help people, and people are in desperate need right now, church. So we're grateful that we get to give, and we want to invite you into this moment. I'm going to pray, and I want to invite you to pray with me, but not just for our church as we gather right now. I want to pray for the Big C Church in this moment, because it is not exaggerating to say that more people are hearing a gospel message right now than ever before in most of our lifetimes. Uh, People are gathered all over the world, all over our country with open hearts to the message of Jesus. And so, yes, I want to pray that you get something out of what I'm about to say. But more than that, I want to join my voice with the voices of millions of others calling on God to do something so special today. So would you bow your heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are doing something right now that is so much bigger than Auburn Community Church. It's so much bigger than an Easter gathering online. God, I believe that through this virus and through this time of massive difficulty and uncertainty, you are doing a new thing. You are calling your people back to your heart because you are a loving Heavenly Father. And so, God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would fill up every household that's tuned in to a message about the love of Jesus. I pray that you would give pastors clarity about the message that they're supposed to say, and every single word coming out of their mouth would be breathed by your Holy Spirit. 
God, would you move in a powerful way? Would you call more people to trust in Jesus today than on any Easter Sunday in the history of the world? God, and we mean that. We want to pray bold prayers because we're serving a resurrected Savior. So God, we love you. We surrender to you. Would you fill my voice right now with the word that you have for your people? Would you speak to young and old, men and women, people from all different seasons of life and people going through different circumstances right now? Would you meet them right where they are? In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Well, if you've been tracking with us, we've been walking through the letter Colossians, and it's been powerful every week walking through Paul's letter and letting it speak to our church during this season. I want to hit pause on that series and preach a one-shot message today. It's going to be written by the Apostle Paul, but it's not going to be found in Colossians. We're going to pick back up on Colossians next week, but first I want to invite you, if you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up in your living room, hold it up, show it off to your family, show it off to the people around you right now. Give that judgmental stare to everyone in the room who does not have a Bible like you do and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is a letter similar to Colossians written by the Apostle Paul, but it's written to a church that has a lot of issues Uh, The church in Corinth was a church that Paul started, and many, many times throughout Paul's journeys and mission moments, he had to stop and write a letter to the church in Corinth. Now, the two letters that we have in the Bible are not the only letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. They're the only two that made it into the New Testament. And this one specifically, Paul wrote to instill his sincerity for a church that was starting to question whether or not Paul was really for them. And the reason why I chose to preach this passage on Resurrection Sunday is I feel like the words that we are about to read from this moment in Paul's life speak to the implications of resurrection when you're going through something that you don't understand. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 3. If you're there, say I'm there. Let's read verses 3 through 7 together. Here's what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Wow. Paul begins this letter in a unique way. Normally when Paul begins a letter, he does a long introduction, and then he jumps right into, this is why I'm writing you this letter. Not in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, Paul pens what's called a doxology. He takes a moment to give praise to God. And look what he says in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Paul wants these people to know, if you know one thing about God, you need to know that he is a Father of compassion who comforts his people. I think part of the reason why Paul included that right off the bat about God is because Corinth was a city in ancient Greece. 
And if you know anything about Greek mythology, what the Greeks believed about God or the gods is that the gods did what they wanted to do totally independent of humanity. They didn't really care what was going on in the human race. The Greeks thought the gods are on their own level and we need to do whatever we need to do to stay out of their way. Paul's going, our God, the real God, the only God is not like that. He is a father of compassion who comforts his people. And Paul also wants the church in Corinth to know that suffering is not the evidence that God is absent. A lot of the early Christians were wondering, hey, if God's favor is so amazing, why is life so complicated? And Paul wants them to know, listen, just because we're suffering doesn't mean that God's favor is not on us. In fact, suffering is not the absence of the presence of God. Suffering many times is the very evidence that God's presence is near because he's a father who comforts his people even when life makes no sense and things get really, really, really difficult. I was reminded of that this week. I saw a tweet from a prominent atheist and teacher. Many of you are probably familiar with this name. His name is Richard Dawkins. And he tweeted a curve of the COVID-19 virus deaths in the United States. And this is such an arrogant tweet, but what he tweeted was, he put a cross where our president called for a national day of prayer on March 15th. And what he did is, is he marked after that day of prayer how many people died from coronavirus in the United States. Basically saying, this is how we know God doesn't exist because these many churches and Christians were praying and this is how many people died after they were praying. Claiming that the presence of all of this suffering around us is the evidence that our God doesn't exist. And the very symbol he used on that picture was a cross. I wanted to jump through my iPhone and go, hey, you realize that that very symbol was something that God was willing to put his own son on. God is not intimidated by suffering. God uses suffering to draw his people near to him. And so I want to tell you today what's happening in our world right now, what's happening in your family right now, what's happening economic, economically right now. That's not the evidence that God's not doing anything. I believe God is on the move like never before because people are seeing in a crystal clear way there is no hope outside of the name of Jesus. And Paul says God is going to comfort you when you feel like giving up. Verse 4, he comforts us in all of our troubles. Watch this so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Suffering is never meaningless in the Christian life. When you experience comfort from your heavenly Father, you become an instrument of overflow because now you are able to speak into the life of someone else who wants to give up, someone else who's facing what you faced before, and you can tell them loud and clear, I've seen the faithfulness of God. I've seen the goodness of God. God's going to see you through this because God has seen me through this. I could camp out on these verses all day long, but this is literally just the introduction because I want to get to verses 8 through 10, and that's really where we're going to be living. So if you're still in your Bible, go to verse 8 and check this out. This is where we're going to be living, church. Here it is. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us 
follow this progression, Paul is talking about giving praise to the God of all comfort who meets us in the madness of what we're going through and gives us the ability to overflow into the lives of others. Now Paul wants to tell the church in Corinth, listen, here's what I went through. I don't want you to be uninformed about the trials that we faced in Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. And Paul says this, he says, we despaired of life itself. He doesn't go into any detail about the specifics of what they were going through, but it must have been really bad because Paul is literally saying, we did not even want to go on with our lives. Things got so hopeless. And he says, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. The suffering of Paul's life took him to a place where he had to check what his life was built on. And he had to check what his hope was in. And he said, all this happened. It was making me despair. But then we decided, you know what? This is happening so that we don't rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. If you need a title for my sermon on Easter Sunny, Sunny, Easter Sunny, this is real, guys. And I just want this to be as real as it can possibly be. I hope it is sunny outside on Easter, wherever you're watching this from. But on Easter Sunday, my sermon title is going to be called, My Foundation is resurrection. My foundation is resurrection. Could you look at somebody next to you right now and just say resurrection? Resurrection. That's what today is all about. It is resurrection Sunday. My foundation is resurrection. You can't understate the power and the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. As Christians, everything that we believe hinges on this one moment. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, without the resurrection of Jesus, we of all people are to be pitied. The resurrection is our foundation. What it means to be a Christian is to simply believe that Jesus has been risen from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so ultimately what we believe is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus really died on a Friday and rose on a Sunday. And anytime I get into a conversation about faith or about Christianity, I try to drive it to the foundation as fast as I can. That ultimately, those discussions that you have with people or that I have with the world around me, they don't need to hinge on whether or not we know the explanation to every word that the Bible says. I do believe the Bible's true. But the Bible is not the foundational reason why I believe what I believe about Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is the reason why we believe what we believe about Jesus. And everything he said was true because when you come back from the dead, you're right. And so I want to simply ask you today the question, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Now, I don't know your background, I don't know what you're sitting in right now, but your answer to that question has a lot to do with how you relate to Jesus because it is the ultimate claim Jesus calls us to build our lives on. But watch this, most of us have grown up in environments and heard messages and heard songs that have told us, just believing that Jesus rose from the dead is what makes me a Christian and everything stops there. And I want you to know today, Following Jesus is not as simple as just agreeing that what he did actually happened. Following Jesus is about so much more. Here's how I would say it. 
the reality of the resurrection is what confronts our minds. And you got to decide what you're going to do with that. If you're not a believer in Jesus today, I would highly encourage you to look into the actual evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. But the reality of his resurrection is an objective historical fact. That's not what transforms someone's life, though. See, the reality of the resurrection confronts our minds, but the reason for the resurrection confronts and transforms our hearts. And the reason Jesus rose from the dead was to invite sinful and lost humanity into a resurrection of our own where we're united with Christ in a new life and headed for heaven forever and ever with our heavenly Father. The reason Jesus rose from the dead is to give you new life. And the tension I'm feeling this moment as I preach through a camera in a screen to who knows how many people. Here's the tension I feel. I know that I am talking to a lot of people who believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I also know that I am talking to less people who are actually living a resurrected life. I was thinking about that this week. I was like, I wonder how many people are going to be tuning in to Easter at ACC And just ask, point blank, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? They would say, yes, I I believe that. But I wonder how many people demonstrate on a daily basis the evidence of resurrection, a transformed life, a brand new reality, a brand new identity, sonship, walking as a son, a daughter of the living God. And I don't say that to offend you. I say that to confront you with the reason why Jesus rose from the dead. And I say that to point out something about what Paul wrote that maybe you didn't even notice when I said it, but it's literally the foundation of everything he says in this letter. He says, this happened, all this trouble, all this suffering, it happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Do you notice that word raises? not raised. He says, God raises the dead. That in ancient Greek is what's called a present participle. It's when you say something about somebody that's a permanent attribute of themselves. Did you know that resurrection is not something God did 2,000 years ago for Jesus? Resurrection is who Jesus is, and it's available for your life right here and right now. God who raises the dead. And God's desire in 2020 is not simply that people would look back 2,000 years ago and say, look what God did. I believe God's desire in 2020 is to wake people up to the reality of his power here and now. Death still has no power over our God, and Christians have every right in the middle of a COVID-19 outbreak to say, I've got a faith and a hope that's bigger than this circumstance right now, and it's found in Jesus. I would ask you today, is your foundation the resurrection of Jesus? And my vision for our time together is that resurrection would go from something that we keep as a core belief to something that we experience as a core reality together. How do I know if my foundation is resurrection? Well, that's kind of complicated because foundations generally don't get revealed until things are shaken up. You remember in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus talked about the two houses One was built on solid rock and one was built on sand. And the houses were pretty much the same until a storm showed up. And when the winds came and the rains blew and beat against the two houses, there was one house that stood and there was one house that went down. The foundation only shows when things are shaken up. And for a lot of us right now, the foundations that we built our lives on, we weren't even aware of them until certain things got taken away. 
and things have gone from bad to worse, and now I just want to say your foundation is showing. And for many of us, it's not pretty in this moment. John Calvin, amazing leader in the history of the church, said this, and I feel like it's fitting for this moment. He said, we are not brought to real submission until we have been laid low by the crushing hand of God. We are not brought to real submission until we have been laid low by the crushing hand of God. That's not to say that God wants to crush his people. That's to say God uses circumstances and trials and storms to eliminate our ability to hold on to hope anywhere other than Jesus. See, I actually believe that this season that we're in is the ultimate opportunity for us to check whether or not the foundation of our heart is actually rooted in resurrection. I've heard people saying that all of this sheltering in place and social distancing is disorienting our emotions. And part of that's probably true. In fact, if you're in a room with people who it's getting a little bit difficult because it's been a month and you're seeing the same people and there's a little bit of attitude between parents and kids and maybe husbands and wives, maybe just look at each other and say, it's Easter, all is forgiven. Let's just start with a clean slate today. But I've heard people saying again and again that what's happening with social distancing and with people staying at home is their emotions are disoriented. What I think is happening on a spiritual level across our world right now is so much bigger than emotions. I think our foundations have become become disoriented. I think things that we didn't know we had built our lives on being taken away have actually caused us to go, wait a second, what am I standing on and what do I do without this job? What do I do without this company? What do I do if I don't have my health? How am I going to handle this? And it's in this moment that I want to call us back just to take inventory on our own hearts and go, if the foundation of the Christian life is resurrection and we're called to live resurrection lives, are you living the life Jesus died for you to live? At our church, we always say Jesus didn't just die to forgive you of your sins and give you hope for heaven forever. He came to give you the fullness of life here and now. Are you actually experiencing that? And the way you will know that is whether or not your foundation stands firm in the midst of a storm or whether or not you resort to panic and fear. And I want you to watch. The moment Paul was in in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 takes you straight through the progression that a lot of us are going through right now. If you are going through that fear right now and you are panicking right now don't feel like you're alone the apostle Paul is saying I've been in that place look at this go back to verse 8 he says we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself indeed we felt we had received the sentence of death Paul says we despaired of life that word despair is the same word we use for depression It literally means to believe that the place that you're in is so dark, it is hopeless and never going to change. That's why Paul says we thought we'd received the sentence of death. Here's what he was doing. He was letting the circumstances that surrounded his life define the spirit on the inside. And he was going, I don't even know if we can go on if this suffering continues. Now watch what happens next. Look at verse 9. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Follow the progression. Paul went from circumstances producing despair to deliverance producing confidence. He was letting everything that was happening around him determine, you know what, I'm not going to make it. And you know what, we are believing that we have received the sentence of death. And then he saw God deliver him. And that deliverance produced a confidence to where he goes, you know what, if God brought us through that, he's going to bring us through whatever we're about to face in front of us. And he says this, this happened so that we would not rely on ourselves, but on God. He goes on to say, on him, we have set our hope. That's a foundation. Here it is, church. If you don't get anything else I say today, you need to absolutely 100% get this moment. You have to go from allowing your hope and your foundation to be set on your circumstances to setting your hope and your foundation on a person. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the only constant. Jesus is the one who Paul says, we have set our hope on him. My foundation is resurrection. Here's what's great about Jesus. His resurrection power is not limited to a moment 2,000 years ago. His resurrection power is who he is. In John chapter 11, Jesus told Martha, he told Mary, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Wherever I show up, dead bones rise. And wherever I show up in a moment, you have an opportunity to put a foundation in place. It's who he is. So if I could sum this up in literally two sentences, it would be this. Stop living dependently on how things go. Start trusting completely in who Jesus is. Too many of us call ourselves believers in Jesus and we're literally living on the basis of how we hope things will go moving forward. But what it means to lay a foundation called resurrection is I'm not putting my hopes in my set of dreams, in my set of plans for how I want my life to unfold. It's okay to be a human being, by the way. It's okay to have plans. It's okay to have dreams. But what puts you in a position where you're not going to be taken out by whatever happens next is when you go, my life is not rooted in circumstances. My life is rooted in resurrection. And if he was raised from the dead, he has given me a new life. And now, whether it's life or death, sickness or health, richness or total poverty, I'm going to be okay because I am a child of God. Man, don't you want to live with that kind of confidence? Don't you want to stand out in a broken world and look to the rest of the world like you are absolutely out of your mind when everything is falling apart? You're going, I've got perfect peace. Because my foundation wasn't in any of that stuff. No, I don't want all this to be happening. But my foundation is resurrection. And resurrection is constant. I was reading the account of the resurrection of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And it's amazing because John gives the historical account of Jesus rising from the dead. And then he stops. This random stop in John chapter 20. And he says, Hey, Jesus did a lot more miracles than I'm writing right now. You can tell he's kind of getting tired, getting to the end of his letter, and he's like, hey, I just want you to know, um, if I wrote down everything that needed to be written, it would be a lot more than I have time for. But I want you to know this. I wrote this so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the part that got skipped for a lot of us when we said yes to Jesus. 
We heard, you need to believe. He died and rose again. You need to believe. You need to believe. And so many of us raised our hands. We prayed the prayer. I believe. I believe. I want to be a Christian. But so few of us were told, hey, belief and faith is supposed to result in the fullness of life that is only available in Jesus. I want you to live fully alive. I don't want you to to live continuing to fear what might happen around the next corner. If we learned anything in 2020, we learned that we never know what is going to happen next in our world and how much it's going to impact us. You do not have to ride that wave. You do not have to sit on the roller coaster that the whole world is on going, I hope this gets better. That's not where our hope is. Our hope is in a resurrected Savior, and his resurrected life lives on the inside of me by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to build a foundation for your life. I've got to be honest. I'm not that big into building or anything related to power tools or generally anything considered manly. Okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. When we start talking about building stuff, I, I see stuff that gets broken in my house or in our office, and my immediate thought is we need to get somebody else in here, even if it's my wife. We need to get somebody else in here to work on this and fix it. Hey, don't laugh at me and don't make fun of me. Like, I'll pray for you while you are working on fixing the thing that you specialize in. I'm just not that into building stuff and not that into fixing stuff. But I do know this. I do know that when you go to build something, you have to lay a foundation to build something strong. And I do know that a foundation begins with digging something up and then laying something down. And I believe that's what needs to happen in your life today. I believe that's what needs to happen in 2020 to the big C church all over the world. Is we need to uproot what was there before and we need to lay the foundation of resurrection back where it belongs. Somebody say resurrection resurrection. I want that word on our minds and on our lips this Sunday. Number one is this. Here's what we're going to uproot. I want you, based on 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I want you to uproot the slavery of existence. Uproot the slavery of existence. Living life based on whatever circumstances might come next leads to a prison and a paralysis called self-preservation. And when you live your entire life just trying to preserve your existence, you end up doing the opposite of living, which is called simply existing. See, I have found that just as much as death is the opposite of life, so is existing. And there are a lot of people who believe Jesus rose from the dead who are not actually fully alive. They're just living to exist and make it by. And before you lay the foundation of resurrection fully in place in your new identity in Christ, you got to get rid of what you were holding on before. And for most of us, what we were holding on to before is our version of our lives and our own control over how things go. And I'm just saying there's a freedom, there's a fullness of life on the other side to giving up control instead of constantly trying to gain control. One of the greatest truths we've realized in the life of our church is that Jesus is a good shepherd. And we believe that as sheep, we trust his voice to always lead us where we're called to go. Well, you know what David wrote about a good shepherd? He said, I trust the Lord, my shepherd, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I was reading Charles Spurgeon this week. This is a brilliant thought. He said, why would a good shepherd ever lead a sheep through the valley of the shadow of death? 
Like no good shepherd does that for fun. No good shepherd just decides, hey, I want to scare my sheep today. Let me lead them through a really, really, really bad season. He said, isn't the only logical answer that something far better is on the other side of the valley? I love that. You want to know why you can trust your good shepherd no matter what comes up and stop living in self-preservation and just surrender to him? Because whatever he's walking you through, no matter how complicated it is and difficult it is, it will always be worth it. And the name of Jesus will always be glorified in it. So trust him. Get rid of your slavery to just trying to manage all the details of your life and living according to what you hope happens next. I gotta tell you, I cannot wait for this pandemic to be over. I can't wait for restaurants to be open again. I can't wait to gather together again at Airport Road and just be able to hug everybody in our church. We might have a hug session. Like introverts, you might need to watch out when we are back together again as a church. I'm so excited for it. But one of the things that I'm dreading about the end of the COVID-19 pandemic, yes, I want people to be healed. I don't want this sickness to exist, and I don't want the economic fallout and everything bad that's happened. I can't stand it. But one thing that I'm dreading and a little bit fearful of in my spirit is I'm concerned about how quickly the church is going to go back to simply existing. How quickly will we go back to just trying to preserve everything the way it was before? Or will we really let this season redefine the foundation of why we exist as individuals and why we exist as the body of Christ? You were not born to exist. You were born to live. You don't believe me? Why are you freaking out so frustrated from being cooped up in your house? You're still alive. You're fine. Some of you think it's like, oh, it's just like the walls are closing in. I can't wait to go to a restaurant. I can't wait to go on vacation. It's not that you just miss being out in public that much. You know what you miss? Living. Because all you're doing every day is just existing. All you're doing every day is just sitting there going, well, we're just passing the time. No, you were not created for that. You were created to live on purpose. You were created to walk through fire. You were created to face the danger and face it in a way that says, I trust my God and I want to be fully alive. ACC, can we never again go back to the prison of just trying to exist and just trying to make it by? Can we uproot that slavery forever and ever? Because Jesus created you to be fully alive. And Paul said, this happened and I found out. I was relying on myself. We were relying on ourselves, but then this shook us up and we realized we want to rely on God who raises the dead. That's part two. Part one of my foundation is resurrection, is uproot the slavery of existence. Number two, this is amazing. Grow the identity of of confidence. Grow the identity of confidence. Watch the shift that happens for Paul. One moment he's like, we despaired of life itself. We did not even want to go on. Watch what happens in verse 9. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him We have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. It's identity of who he is in the sight of God that takes him from fearful of the circumstance to confident in his new identity. He knows he's a child of God, and so what does he have to be afraid of? ACC, I need you to know this Easter that your resurrection means that there was a death to the old you 
and a risen new you who has the opportunity to live a new life with a new name. And everything about the Christian life is rooted in identity, not in activity. So many people believe in Jesus. They trust Jesus with their life and they pray the prayer, but then they spend their whole life just trying to do things differently. That's not what it means to be risen with Christ. What it means to be risen with Christ is to believe you are who God says you are and learn to live in that new identity. So you don't try to have bold faith. You are given bold faith because you are now a child of God. I preached a message to our church a couple months ago. It was called Bold as a Lion. And I said, you know what's funny about this verse is that everybody thinks lions are so courageous. Everybody thinks lions are so bold. Here's the thing. Lions are not necessarily bold. They're lions. And they're aware of it. Like they don't try to conjure up the boldness to go about their life a certain way. They just know who they are. Christians would rise up with boldness like never before if they could just taste for one second who they really are in the sight of God. Do you know who you are because of what Jesus did on that cross 2,000 years ago? You are clean. You are blameless. You are son. You are daughter. You are heir. You have everything you need in your new identity in Christ. And so now our lives, it's normal for us to overflow with gratitude. It's normal for us to pray bold prayers. And it's normal for us to stand out in a lost, dark, and broken world. Yes, it's a process called sanctification. And you'll become more like Jesus over the course of a lifetime. Because you've been given the Holy Spirit as a deposit on the inside of you. But it's a process that for many of you needs to begin right now. When I knew I was going to be preaching Easter Sunday, 2020, in front of a camera and letting this message go out online, God gave me three words, as clear as anything I've ever heard from God, and I want to make sure that I take a moment to be obedient to that revelation. His three words were crystal clear clarity. Apparently, the Holy Spirit likes alliteration. Crystal clear clarity. I want to, with as much clarity I have in my God-given ability, tell you what it means to be a follower of Jesus and give those of you who are not followers of Jesus an opportunity to step into a new identity in the family of God, but also give those of you who are living in that half-hearted self-preservation mindset that has kept you enslaved to so many other foundations, I want to invite you from your living room, maybe from your kitchen table, to uproot the foundation that you've built your life on so far and lay in place of it a brand new identity in Christ. So here's what I want to tell you. Mankind has sinned and fallen short of the glory of a holy God. That is the story of the universe. That's why death exists. That's why the the world is so beautiful and relationships are so profound. And at the same time, there's so much brokenness and suffering. Because God is glorious. Man was made in the image of God. But because of sin, we have been eternally separated from a right relationship with our heavenly father. And when you look at the sinfulness of humanity and, can, and you compare it to the glory of God, the only result for that condemnation is hell. So hell is not an idea that God had because he said, I just want to punish people who don't believe in me. Hell is the only logical result when you take sinful, broken humanity and combine it with the holiness of our God. You get eternal separation from the God of the universe. But God... 
made a way in Jesus for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord and decides that they want a different foundation for their life. God made a way through his perfect son who lived a sinless life and died a sinner's death on a cross and his blood was not shed in vain. It was the sacrificial blood that was in your place and in my place to stand in the gap for us before a holy God. So now when you and I call on the name of Jesus, God is not waiting to give us punishment. God is waiting to draw us near as children of God. The only thing missing in this moment is your yes. Do you want in on the family of God? Do you feel the Holy Spirit kind of beating that in your chest right now going, this is what you were called to. This is who you are. I know this is not everybody watching me right now, but there are some of you right now who you know what he is saying is true, and I'm feeling like I want to say yes to Jesus today. This is your moment. And the fourth part of the gospel is simply that you've been called to new mission. You've been given a new identity so that you can participate in the kingdom of God spreading on planet earth because I got good news. Uh, we're not gonna live here forever. There's a new heaven, there's a new earth and you and I will exist forever as brothers and sisters in Christ in the family of God. I cannot wait. Come Lord Jesus and bring your kingdom to earth. That's the gospel. And so if you're listening to me right now and you wanna say yes, to jumping into the family of God. There's a seat saved for you. Jesus has made a way. And if you're here today and this message has messed with you and you've realized that for a long time you've just been existing, for a long time you've believed in the resurrection, but you've never stepped into resurrection life, I'm gonna pray for you as well. Would you just bow your head right where you are? Would you just close your eyes in this moment? If in this moment you want to say yes to Jesus, I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer. I want you to pray the words either out loud or in your spirit right now. I want you to pray, Jesus, I give you my life. I accept what you did for me. I believe in you. I'm yours. If that's you in this moment, you and God have a lot more to talk about, but you just made the best decision you could ever make. If you're here and you're listening right where you are right now and you know you have built a foundation for your life that's not resurrection, it's not too late for you. I do not care how much baggage you are carrying into this moment, how much sin you are carrying into this moment, or how much safety you have chosen your entire life. Now is your moment to lay it all on the line and uproot the slavery of existence and plant firmly a new identity and walk in confidence. I want you to pray this prayer. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. You'll never be the same. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these moments and I just trust you to do by the power of your Holy Spirit what I cannot do with words. I pray in Jesus' name that right now the glory of Jesus would be resounding through homes all over the United States and all over the world because our Savior is risen. 
God, no longer let us choose to build our lives on something that doesn't have the power to sustain. We want the fullness of the life you died for us to live. And so we place our faith and trust in you. And when we go back to placing it in ourselves, I pray that we would be quick to remember, no, 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 no. Our hope is set on Jesus and Jesus alone. God, I thank you that 2,000 years ago, the stone was rolled away. I thank you that death could not hold you down, that you defeated sin and hell and death forever and ever and ever. So bring life and immortality to light through the gospel in our day like never before. Use us in a way that we've never seen. And God, I pray that you inhabit the praise of your people for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray and in Jesus' name that we sing, amen. Church family, let's celebrate people who have come to life in Christ. Would you stand up right where you are? We're gonna sing with these moments we have left together. And I wanna invite you to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus that's on display in and through our church right here and right now. Come on, let's sing.